We're involved also in a series on the book of Hebrews. And uh, I know, I know some of you are thinking, is Bob aware of what time it is? <laughs> yes, I am. All right. So we're involved in, and in, in, in we're looking at Hebrews chapter 8. And we'll move quickly on some of this, but that's okay. Because the first part of Hebrews chapter 8 is very much a, a recap of everything we've been talking about in Hebrews chapters 1 through six, 7. So you can turn to Hebrews chapter 8 in your Bible, or we'll have it up on the screens also. Um, I want you to see here, though, because he even, he even kind of uh, he talks about this, um, that he's going to review. And this is key. Because sometimes I know, you know, you hear the same thing over and over and you kind of start going, oh, this is the same thing over and over. Why does Bob keep saying that? Well, let me tell you something that happened. Um, um, and, and it just so happened it was my daughter. But um, my daughter's in Philadelphia. One of my daughters is in Philadelphia. She's a nurse. She works uh, with patients on dialysis and different things like that. And one day she was in the back room, but in the, in the waiting room, she started hearing someone scream. So she, she goes flying in, and a, a person who was waiting in the waiting room had coded, had no, no heart, heartbeat, stopped breathing, just on the floor, and people are freaking out. And she ran over, and she looks, and she says, come on, help me, help me, help me. One of the nurses, and the, the nurse said, I'll go get stuff, I'll go get stuff, and she ran off. And so Reagan, and, and I was talking to her, and she said, Dad, it was the training. It was the training. Over and over and over, they went over what you do in this situation to where we were like, come on, for crying out loud. And she got on her knees and she started and she said, call 911. Tell them compression started at this time. Go look over there. Get it in and start, start, start breathing and, you know, da, 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 all this stuff. And she's ordering people around because that was the training she had received. And it just became like automatic. She wasn't even thinking through everything she was doing. And, and it got so that one of the persons says, they want to ask you a question. And she's doing this, what, what? And she's talking, and she just, boom. And, and so they, they saved this woman. They saved this woman. And, and I said, Reagan, you're like a hero. And she says, no, whoever trained me, those people, because they drilled it in me till I was sick of it. But then when I needed it, it was automatic. This is why the author of Hebrews keeps hitting certain things over and over and over. In the first seven chapters, he goes over these things oh, just so much, and he's going to do it again. So we're going to have here a, a bit of review. Boom. Verse 1. Now, the main point of what we are saying is this. See, oh, here we go. This is review. He says, here's my main point. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the of the majesty in heaven, and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle, set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Again, just a reminder, he's writing to Hebrew Christians, people who'd been to the temple, people who had worshiped at the temple, sacrificed at the temple, and he's teaching them, there's a new high, you know, it's, there's a new high priest in town. <laughs> this town ain't big enough for the, you know, I don't know. So here we go. This is just more first church stuff. I don't know what it is. So, but he's saying, there's a new high priest. He's a great high priest. He's better. Chapters one, two, three. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Over and over and over. And so he's, he's covering familiar ground. 
He's seated at the right hand at a position of power, like a co-regent. This is the priest king. And to be seated means the job is finished. This is key for us. And this was so key for them. The job is finished. The offering's been given. You don't need to keep doing that stuff. He's saying, look, you guys know what Jesus said on the cross, to die. It is finished. It literally means paid in full. Paid in full, once for all, done. And so now he's in this true tabernacle, not made by human beings. Verse three, the, continuing this review, he says, every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on the earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. He said, look, you can go to the temple right now. Those guys are making offerings. But Jesus has a different offering because he gave himself. If he was on this earth, he would not be in the priestly line in that sense. He's not in the line of the Levitical priests. But he's coming, he's been, he's been commissioned by God as a priest in the order of Melchizedek. All of this is review that they've been going over. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy. Sanctuary that is a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See, see to it that you will make everything according to the pattern shown on the mountain. So, okay, so they served these earthly priests. They served in a sanctuary that human beings made. This not the real thing. It's just kind of a, a, a facsimile. It's a copy. It's a shadow. We can't see it exactly. What it points to, though, it points to Jesus. And this gets to something that I think is key. This gets to the point of religion. This gets to the heart of religion in this world. Because all religions believe there is something greater out there, some type of power greater and above everything. All religions have uh, their way then of saying they, they need to bridge this chasm that is between the supernatural power that is out there and us. All religions have something that deal with this, some way of bridging the gap. Now they differ on how. Some offer sacrifices. Some wrap it up in a strong moral code. You've got to do good works. Some use rituals or incantations. Some, some use prayer. Some, some, say, some say you need to transform your consciousness. All of these things, what are they? They're a way of getting to something. I mean, even if people don't necessarily be in some sort of supernatural power, they say you need to be enlightened, and you've got to get to that, and it takes work, and they all have ways of doing this. Now, the Romans at that time, they welcomed all religions. They had thousands, literally thousands of deities. They even had altars for the deities they hadn't bumped into yet. They would give a sacrifice at an altar and they would say, look, we don't know who you are. We haven't met you yet. But just to be in your good graces, we're going to offer you something because we're sure you're out there somewhere. All right. They had altars for gods they didn't know yet. And it's very interesting. If you read the history, the early Romans called Christians atheists. They said, you have no religion. Not only that, you're anti-religion. That's what you are. You're atheists. You're anti-religion. Why? Why did they do that? Think about that. You're against religion. The Romans said, Christianity is trying to kill religion. 
And they're right. They're right. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he was a me- he is a mediator is superior to the old one. Since the new covenant is, is established on better promises. See, Jesus is the superior minister. Jesus has the superior covenant. Jesus is the superior mediator. Jesus brings better ch- promises. Cling to Jesus, he's saying, because he's better. He's been saying that all along. Now, why would they say that then about Christianity? Because the Christians said, no, they're, no, they're all, you're all wrong. There's one God, and it's not a religion. And this is what we'll see. It's a relationship. It's not religion. It's a relationship. So he gives a bit of a review. And now, out with the old, in with the new. I love that I, I made that rhyme. That's, that's unusual for me. You're like, that doesn't seem hard. No, it's not hard. No, it's not. Verse 7. For, it, for if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. See, he's saying there's something wrong. There's something wrong. And, and here, let me, let me do this. Let me read you how this covenant started. All the way back in Exodus 24, how the old covenant started. When Moses went and told the people all of God's words, all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. See if you can spot where the flaw might be in this. So Moses comes to them and he tells them everything that God has commanded, all the words, all the laws, and they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. So then he offers sacrifices, and he comes down. It's the next day, and he says, we're going to confirm this. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. Book of the covenant, 613 laws. And he read it to the people, and they responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey the covenant. All of them, 613 laws. Yep, we got it. No problem. Do you see the flaw? Right? You see where the problem is? It's not the law. The problem is us. The problem is us. 613 commandments. Oh, yeah, we can do it. Like it's our job, we can do it. No. Years ago, I love to read sometimes um, a a man called G.K. Chesterton. He was a brilliant thinker, Christian, and... um, and uh, lived around the late 1800s, early 1900s. And one of the big English newspapers decided to do a poll. And they, they asked what they thought were the 50 most brilliant people in the world, what they think the problem with humanity is. What is the problem that humanity has? And G.K. Chesterton sent them a note back, two words, I am. I am. We are. That's the problem. That's the problem with humanity. The law is not the problem. Romans 7 says the law is good. The problem is people. So why did God give us this law? Because that's a good question to ask, right? Okay, God, so why? If, if it's flawed because I'm involved in it, why did you give this law? Why? Because he's teaching us. He's teaching the children of Israel. He's teaching us. He's teaching the whole world with the law. It teaches us there's a God who has standards, standards of holiness. There is a God. There is a God who says there is absolute truth. There's a standard, and there's a standard giver. It teaches us that we are the problem, our sin, and we need Jesus. Galatians tells us the law is the tutor 
that points us to Jesus Christ. It pushes us, it hems us in, it leads us inexorably towards Jesus. If you take the law seriously, you will go to Jesus because there's no hope after otherwise. Also, God worked into the law the answer to our problem. Over and over in the Old Testament, he kept telling them, there's going to be an answer to this. I'm covering your sins temporarily, but there is coming a day. <clears throat> All kinds of different areas in Scripture. You know, it was interesting, a while back, <clears throat> excuse me, we did, a, we did a study on the book of Hosea, and, it, and I think one of the things that uh, surprised me the most is how Hosea is filled with little pointers and ideas and thoughts that point to Jesus that point to Jesus, the Savior who will love unconditionally and settle all the debts. And here the author of Hebrews, he's going to quote in Romans chapter 8, one of those passages that God put in the Old Testament to point them to Jesus, to tell them what's coming, how the answer is coming. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8. But God found fault with the people and said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel, this is, he's quoting Jeremiah 31, covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. So he says to them, he's telling them, I says, I want you to, I want you to, to know what's coming. Something's coming. And I, I, what's interesting here is in this passage, as we go down through it, you will see that now Jesus, instead of, here's the law, and the people say, we will obey it. Now in this passage, what you get over and over and over is God saying, I will. I will do this. I will do this. I declare this. I will do this. And that's the whole point of the gospel, isn't it? God did not we did. We didn't obey. God came. Jesus came. Jesus came for us because we can't. And basically, Jesus said then, and he's still saying now, give it up. You can't do it. But I can, and I will, and I did. And that's that concept of grace. This is the new covenant that is the covenant. It's called the covenant of grace. And I struggle sometimes, we can struggle sometimes with understanding grace and exactly what it means. But let me give you an illustration. Maybe that would be a good idea. Just a little bit of illustration. This is totally hypothetical. But let's just suppose. Let's just suppose that you went to high school at Wakefield High School in Arlington, Virginia. And let's suppose you drove your motorcycle to that school every day as your transportation to school. And you're not the smartest kid in the whole school. In fact, one day, you got this really dumb idea to do wheelies in front of the school during lunch hour so that everyone in the school would look at you and go, what a cool dude, right? Because you're dumb. So a policeman pulls you over, incites you, and you go to court. And the judge asks you, did you really do this? Did you drive at an excessively high rate of speed on one wheel in a school zone during school? Yes. I mean, you know, you're, you're busted. You're smoked right there. And the judge says, okay, $1,000 fine, week in jail. You lose your license for 500 years. That's justice. Okay? 
That's justice. And we want justice. We want justice. It keeps things safe. Justice keeps order in our world. We want justice. Now, let's suppose the judge looked at you and said, did you really do that? And you said, yes. In a school zone, yes. Don't do it again. Case dismissed. That's mercy. And we love mercy, right? Oh, yeah, we love mercy. (laughs) Especially when it's mercy to us. I want justice for everyone else. But mercy, I'm digging on mercy. I love, that's, we want mercy. But let's suppose the judge did this. Let's suppose the judge looked at you and said, did you really do this? I mean, you're an idiot. In front of the school, during school hours, knowing there's a policeman who is stationed at your school every day to keep the peace in your school. And he parks in the parking lot that you went by on one wheel. You're dumb. Yes, guilty. You're right. He says, okay, the court's going to award you $10,000. Tell him what else he'll get, bailiff. Well, judge, what is he going to get? An all-expense paid vacation to the Hawaiian island of your choice. We'll rent you an Airbnb for two weeks and give you a jet ski and a full quiver of surfboards for the whole two weeks. And what else is he getting? A new motorcycle. Yes, he is a CBR 1000 Honda Fireblade Special that can do wheelies. Not in a school zone, right. And the judge says, huh, God bless you, case dismissed. Let me tell you without any hint, there's no exaggeration at all, that is grace. That is grace. Justice, getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And let me tell you, if anything, that illustration does not even begin to touch the depth of grace that has been showered upon us through Jesus Christ our Lord. It doesn't even come close. It doesn't even come close. That is grace. And God is saying here, Grace is in action now. I will do this. A new covenant that works from the inside out. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. He's saying this is how it works now. It's not about outward observance. It's about it works from the inside out. It starts inward in the hearts and minds. And then it works its way out. We now have the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And the Holy Spirit's job is to work the word into us so that it flows outward. So it's not religion. It's not what do I have to do to stay in God's good graces. It's this. God has showered this incredible mercy and grace upon me. And I admit I'm an idiot. And he did it anyways. How does that change the way I live now? How does that change the way I live? So it works inside out. The new covenant brings intimacy. It's a relationship here. He says, says, I will be their God and they will be my people. You see, there's an intimacy there. There's a relationship there now. What is an intimate relationship? It is when two people have decided to put the other first. Too often in our culture, 
people say, I love you as long as you do this. If you stop doing this, it's over. I love you as long as you do certain things. And you will love me as long as I do certain things. And it's transactional. That's not love. That's not intimacy. And that can be deadly in the long term. Intimacy is two people yielding to each other. And they give up their independence for the sake of their intimacy. They give up things that they say, I, I, this is me, me, me. And they say, no, now there's someone else. There's someone more important. I mean, this is, this is, this is um, premarital counseling 101 right here talking to t about two people like we see between uh, Jesus Christ and the church. Jesus Christ submitted himself to the cross for the sake of the church. He put the church first. And then, so then God says, I want you as the church now to submit to Jesus. And this is how it works with a husband and a wife. When you give up independence, that is when you begin to learn the freedom of an intimate relationship. And now we have this with God. He's given up for us. We give up for him. This mutual, loving relationship that is an intimacy based on what Jesus Christ did on the cross, not by anything we've done. He invites us into this love relationship. You imagine, it's like the Trinity is this is this relationship of, of, of love. Tim Keller calls it an, an eternal dance of love of, of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And what's happening now? They're looking to you. They're looking to me and they're saying, join us. Join us. Become a part of this. Become a part of this relationship. What an incredible opportunity. What incredible grace. There is an intimacy in the new covenant I want you to see also, the new covenant destroys barriers. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Knowing Jesus Christ and we will be equal. We will be equal. That is what years ago, saying for our church, our little thing we say, everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. And anything is possible when God is involved. At First Church, everybody's welcome. We all acknowledge that no one's perfect. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. And anything is possible. Anything is possible when God is involved. There are no second-class Christians. There are none. Everywhere in our world, there are barriers and distinctions. You, you look at the old covenant, the temple. There were all these barriers. People would come into the temple. There'd be a barrier. All Gentiles stop here. You can't go any further. And then the Jews could move in. Then they move in further and there'd be more barriers. This is where the women stop. Men can move in. Hey, I didn't, don't, don't hate the messenger. All right. If you were diseased, you weren't allowed in the temple. Even in the front doors, you couldn't come in. Then there's a spot. Okay, men, everybody stops. Only the priests can go from here. And then there's one more barrier. Only once a year, a priest who's gone through an incredible amount of ritual cleansing can go in and offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people in the Holy of Holies once a year. And Jesus says, I blew through all those barriers. All those barriers. Paul says that barrier that separates Jew and Gentile has been torn down. The, 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 the uh, curtain 
that set off, warded, walled off the Holy of Holies was torn from top to bottom. And just recently we were talking about in, in the uh, um, um, Talmud, the Babylonian and the, and the Alexandrian Talmud, both mentioned that around 30, around 30 AD, the doors to the temple started opening. They would just slide open on their own. I mean, these aren't people who are Christians. Who are, who are, they're just saying, look, we just noticed this phenomenon. The doors started opening every once in a while. After 30 AD, what big happened around then? Right? Jesus blew through all those barriers. All those barriers. All right? In the New, Tov- uh, New Covenant, there's a forgiveness of sins. Verse 12, for I will forgive their wickedness, and I will, oh, man, I will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. This is written about 66 A.D. In 70 A.D., the temple is destroyed. And in 66 A.D., the author of Hebrews saying, the old is passing away, folks. Why do you want to go back to that? There's something new. God's doing a new thing. Don't go back to the old. So he's telling them, your sins are forgiven. We're going to look into that some more and exactly what that means. But they're never brought up again. Your sins will never be used by God as leverage to get you to do something. You know, man, there's so much. We talked about this earlier. A lot of this book is written because of the influence the Qumran community had on Jews in that time. And a lot of the things, a lot of the things that are written in the book of Hebrews are answering things that the Qumran community uh, uh, was teaching at that time. And one of the things the Qumran community was teaching, how many times can I say that, Qumran community, without saying something wrong, right? One of the things they were teaching was this. They were teaching, we're bringing in the new covenant What's going to happen is we're going to cleanse the temple and we're going to start the sacrifice. Everything's going to get back to the way it was all the way back in the book of Exodus. We're going back to that. In a, like we're the new ones who are forging the way to go back to that old thing. And the writer of Hebrews is like, no, they're not. No, they're not. There's going to be no temple to cleanse really soon. Jesus is the new thing. So what does that mean to us? First of all, do you know him? And I know this is something, you know, you can, people can use to make people feel guilty. It's not my, that's not my, my point. I just, I just know this is an important thing for us to consider. It starts with a decision, understanding that Jesus Christ died for my sins. He lived the life I couldn't live. He died for my sins. He was raised from the dead to show that he had power over death. And now he's saying, follow me. It's a decision we make to accept that gift that he offers him. And this is not a religion. The Romans had it perfectly right. This is the death of religion. Because there is this chasm. We all agree there's a chasm. But everybody else is working to get over it, to find the supernatural, nirvana, whatever it is. And Jesus is saying, you can't do it. I'll come to you. And he came to us. He came to us. He broaches that. He, he talks about that when, he, when he, he meets Nathaniel. And he tells Nathaniel, you know, I saw 
what you were doing under that tree, and that just blew Nathaniel's, Nathaniel's mind. He says, how did you see me? I knew I was in secret. I was always wanted, first thing I want, no, not the first. One thing I want to do is go to Nathaniel and say, what were you doing under that tree that made you so whacked out when Jesus said, I saw you under the tree? You saw me? You must be God. And Jesus is like, you think that? Do you think that's something? And then Jesus says, you will see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I'm the bridge of the chasm. And that, that would take them all the way back to Jacob when Jacob had that, had that uh, a dream and he saw angels coming up and down from heaven. Heaven now is coming down to earth. This is amazing. And Jesus said, I'm the bridge over the chasm. I'm the bridge over the chasm. Telling them, this is what I will do with my life. And it starts with a decision. And if you sit there and you say, well, you know, I think I, I'm not, let me just, have you experienced his love? Let me say that in a way that, you know, have you had times maybe where you've read scripture or you've listened to scripture being taught and it just grips you, it grips you in your heart. You know, it makes you go, I want to be a different person. Is God working in you that way? It's not just an interesting fact or an abstract concept. It grips you. It comes alive. It excites you. It makes you want to change. Have you, have you sensed that in your life? Scripture can console us and comfort us. It, it encourages us. Sometimes uh, it exhorts us. Sometimes it gives us a swift kick in the, in the rear. Is that, war, is that happening in your life at all? Have you ever felt like God is kind of shaking you? Wake up. Look at yourself. Get with it. Have you ever felt that? See, this is, this is what happens when we come to know Jesus Christ. Most of all, God knows your heart. He knows your heart. He knows what your heart desires. And these are hallmarks of a relationship, personal interaction and encounters, intimacy in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Have you made that decision? Are you changing? Are you making yourself available to him to change you? See, we cannot, we cannot change ourselves but what we can do is put ourselves in situations and put ourselves in, in, in places where God can work on us. That's why we, you know, even things like port or, or small groups or all of these things, it's putting ourselves in situations, making ourselves available to God for him to work in our life. Is that happening in your life? Let me get personal. Do you look down on certain people as followers of Jesus Christ? This is forbidden by God. We are all equal. And I, and I want to tell you, and I, this is, I don't know what to do. I, I am not, it's above, way above my pay grade to understand how immigration works and what should be done and blah, 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 and all this stuff. But if you look down on people, there are some of those people are brothers and sisters in Christ. And every nation has to have laws. I'm not saying that, but I am saying this. We need to be careful. We need to be careful with our heart and how we judge people and how we look at people. No, I'm going to stop there. I'm going to get myself in a lot of trouble, and I don't mean to. I love you guys, so I'm not trying to do that. And then are you holding on to your sins? Right? Are you like me? Sometimes, you know, you sin, and you just feel so bad about yourself. You just feel so upset and angry with yourself. You ever feel that way? None of you? You guys are liars. You guys are dirty liars, I'm telling you. If I, if, 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 if I can do anything, I can make you feel guilty, right? <laughs> just, you know. It, but we hold on to them sometimes, right? We fight ourselves, we get ourselves, we beat ourselves up over them. And God is like, what are you doing? 
I died for that sin. Confess it, move on, let's go. I got things for you to do. I got people for you to impact. I got lives for you to change. And you're piddling around getting angry at yourself? What a dope, right? You must do wheelies in front of your high school, you moron. So, so we have this, this God. We have the ideal where God is, where everybody wishes the world was like, everybody wishes was possible in their life, and we have reality. Reality's where we live. Blah, this is a reality. Reality is where little babies die. Reality is where tragedies happen. Reality is where unexplained evil abounds. And we say, this is where we live. Get used to it. The ideal is a pipe dream. Let me tell you, it's not. Because the ideal came down to earth and died for us and offers us a life. He doesn't pull us out of this world. He teaches us how to live in this world in a way that honors him and impacts other people's lives. And let me tell you a prime example of that. If you were here yesterday afternoon, we had a funeral for Ezekiel Morgan. And it was a celebration of God's goodness and his grace and his love for us. It was amazing. It was life-changing. God says, I, I can get hold of your life and change you from the inside out so that you live differently. And people see it and lives are changed because through the Holy Spirit, we, Scripture tells us, we tap into the power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's the only power that can change people's lives. And we tap into that. We have the privilege of pe being people who are involved in that power. Never take that for granted. What an incredible privilege we have. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you for Jesus, that he came and instituted the covenant of grace, this grace that gives us the incredible merit that we don't deserve. And now, Lord, help us to live in wonder of that grace and help it to affect our lives so that we change from the inside out and people see the difference that Jesus Christ makes. Lord, we thank you. Even as we heard today, you're working. You're working all over the world. You're working in Bulgaria. Our brother Chip Watson now is in the Far East working with people reaching unreached people groups. You're working, and we get to be a part of it. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.